0: Good morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church. Take your Bibles. Open up to the Old Testament, to the book of Joshua. We've got an ambitious mission this morning. We're going to look at two chapters. We're going to attempt to. If I don't get finished, we'll finish it next week. That's why I said it might be eight weeks. It might be longer. I hope you've got a couple things with you, a copy, a copy of God's Word. Um, there's also some notes. They're back there on the table as well as a copy of God's Word. If you don't have one, I invite you to open and follow along. The notes will help you keep up. We are a, we are a Bible people here. We read, we read our Bibles and we work through the text. The text determines the message. I don't. And, uh, and so just make yourself comfortable. Since we've got two chapters, I'm just going to jump in. Uh, I know we've slept a few times since last week, so just remember where we are. Uh, God's people have been brought out of Egypt, and, uh, but now there is a new generation, a new generation that stands at the brink of the land of promise. So here's the question. How different would you live if this is your land of promise? If this is it, And if there is no God, this is it. Sam starts working and he buys into this. This is the land of promise. And if it is the land of promise, it's up to you to amass and turn it into your land of promise. And what happens to Sam? He's 56 and 58. He's spent all of his life taking all the overtime and working and and amassing it. And then he goes to the doctor and says, you got cancer, you got it six months. And he's left saying, is this it? Is this it? And instead of his children understanding that something here is wrong with the way they see life, they simply take his inheritance, buy into the lie, and keep trying to turn this into a promised land. This is not the promised land. How about, though, if we see life as a preparation for the land of promise? If that's true... How different is that going to be the way you see success and failure? Obedience, disobedience, suffering and blessings. This is what I want you to see this morning. By faith, God has brought us out of slavery in order to bring us into a promised victory. But first, we must war. This is their story. This is our story. We are brought out in order to be brought in, but we first must war. We are brought out. As we've said, Israel has been brought out. They were in slavery, in bondage. And God chose an imperfect man named Moses, and He used him as His leader, and He brought the people out. And what do you remember? What emerged over those years was two groups of people. One who would not move forward by faith and perished. And one who would more move forward by faith and entered into a land of rest. You see, everybody wants the promised land. But very few want to be prepared. We have not only that. Turn with me back at one chapter to chapter 2. We have the redemption of Rahab. Let me just read this. Chapter 2 verse 1. It says that Joshua and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shatim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So Rahab was a woman who sold her body for profit. And yet she is folded into the story of redemption here. She's folded into our story, whether you realize it or not. Notice and look at verse 10. Notice what she said. The word has gone out. She said, For we've heard the whole town, Jericho, that, that, you, that the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when y'all came out of Egypt. They had already heard what they had already happened to some of the kings. They had tried to stand against them. Look at verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Listen to this. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. And you know the story. As a result, these spies promised her and her family protection. And they go back and give a report. Remember the report? Different from 40 years before when they come back and said, we can't take them. The report we see in verse 24 here was, these people in this land melt. Because what God has done in our life. We have in chapter 6 of Joshua, the redemption of Rahab and her family. Matter of fact, in verse 25, just listen to it. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she lived in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out. You say, what does that have to do with me? You need only to turn over to Matthew chapter 1, and you will find Rahab in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. She became part of our story. Jews, pagans alike, came in and pointed to the redemption of the church, your redemption. Ephesians 1 to 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of grace. And in verse 10 said, This was the plan all along, to unite all things, things in heaven, things in earth, the Jews and the Gentiles, the pagans, and those who think they're okay, all must come through Christ. The God of Moses' exodus, the God of Joshua's conquest, is the same God of your redemption. He is an eternal redeemer. And there is an inheritance to possess. This is your story. This is their story. Romans 8.18. Turn with me. I want you to see that. Romans 8.18. Inheritance is ours to possess. Look at verse 16 to start with. Romans 8.16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Look at verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Amen. But look at this. Provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. The glorification with Him in that passage is the reception, the receiving of this promised land that we look forward to. But first, here's what the promise is. There's a time of suffering that's going to happen. The inheritance is ours, but it involves a battle, and Paul calls this suffering. In verse 18 it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. This revealing of this glory comes later. It is not now. Just like there's preparation for God's people to enter into the promised land here, there's preparation in your life now as well. We were brought out, so we will be brought in. We will be brought in. That's what chapter 3 is preparing them for. Chapter 3 is about overcoming obstacles. It's about going through some preparation. It is about understanding their purpose and embracing a process. First, the obstacles. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And so they... Some think there was some 2 million people traveling here. It's not just a small group of 12 or 20. However many it was, it was a lot of folks. It was enough, it was enough for, for uh, people standing on the walls of Jericho to say, my goodness, look at all them people. And they began to travel. We see here, and I don't have time to get into this, a third-day motif, a repetition of the third day, the third day that happens all throughout the old testament and for new testament believers what happened on the third day the resurrection and so we have here saying there's going to be 3 days there's the journey there's a day of rest and then there's crossing over the jordan the central thing here and in, in here is a, something called an ark the ark here is mentioned no less than 16 times in chapters 3 and 4. Now the Jordan flows down the slopes of Hermon through the Sea of Galilee and dumps eventually into the Dead Sea. Uh, the Jordan is where Jesus would, become, would be baptized. A historically significant place even to this day. This was the place of the preparation. This is both a spiritual preparation, it is a a uh, physical preparation, but the, the point to start with this preparation is to be prepared for God's presence. Look at verse 2. At the, end of the th- at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Now this Ark is called some places in Scripture the Ark of Covenant, it's come other places. The Ark of Testimony or the Ark of the Lord. This was the most holiest and the most precious possession that Israel had. We're going to talk about this in small group, but it was important because it symbolized God's presence. So y'all can talk to me a little bit. Uh, what was inside the Ark? Manna. What's that? The tablets, the Ten Commandments. What else? Yeah, Aaron's rod. That's right. So there was three things in there. These things were symbolic. They represented God's presence, God's power, and God's provision. And here was the command. Follow it. But don't get too close. See that in verse 4? There shall be a, a distance between you, about 2,000 cubits in length. Don't come near it. In order that you may... Know the way to go, for you have not passed this way before. There is both a theological reason for that and a pragmatic one, a very practical one. We know the theological reason if you know your Old Testament. You could not touch the ark. God is holy, and yet He is with His people. God is your Father, but He is not your buddy. We keep that tension of understanding God, that God is close, that God is imminent, But he's God. But the main focus here is that they hadn't been this way before. They didn't know the way. God knew the way. And so they had to stay back far enough, this whole mass of people, so they could see the ark and know where they needed to go. So to be prepared for God's presence, this is the call of the preparation. Personal holiness. Personal holiness. Notice what he said in verse 5. Then Joshua said to his people, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass before the people. So they took up the Ark and went before the people. This consecrate yourselves is where we get the word holy. This setting apart yourself for a purpose. If you remember when when the children of Israel came out and they were going to Mount Sinai, this same three days and this same command, consecrate yourself because in three days you're going to experience the presence of God. In other words, if you don't want to experience the presence and power and provision of God, just don't focus on your personal holiness and it will take care of itself. You will not experience God. We must be prepared, and we must prepare ourselves. Sanctify yourself. This is a preparation to be in God's presence, to experience His power and His provision of setting ourselves up so that we might experience God. Joshua is reminded here as the leader to embrace a promise and to explain the purpose for what's happening Look at verse 7 and 8. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may also know, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Verse 8. And as for you, command the high priest who bear the ark of the covenant, When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So there's something different that's happening here than happened at the Red Sea. At the, at the Red Sea when Moses, you remember, Moses stood there and they saw the sea part and they saw the dry land and they went, it's not what's happening here. So we're going to talk about it in a minute. This is a most likely a river that's moving at a fast pace. And until the priests get their toes wet, nothing happens. The spiritual leaders must take the very presence of God and go into the water first. This is the spiritual lesson to our spiritual leaders and to those who are leaders of your homes and in your businesses. You go in first. You got to be willing to wait in there but we never wait in there alone. The purpose the promise I'm going with you I'm going to do something here the purpose is so that they're going to know something. You see it? Look at verses 9 and 10. Why does this whole thing with the Jordan have to happen this way? Verse 9: And Joshua said to the people, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and all those other Ites. You will not fail. Because God will not fail. Your success is not guaranteed by your ability or is it not trapped or held back by your inability. It is God that will not fail. It is Lord that has promised here to be with us and to go before us. Look at verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing before you. This land that he has given you first belonged to him. He's the Lord of all the earth. It is his. This is what Abraham Kuyper said when he says, Everything on the planet earth, God says, it's mine. And I will do with it as I please. This is God, and it is the living God. And he is with his people. And he will not fail. But there's a process. There's a process. There is a divine process. Look at it in verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water, parentheses here, now the Jordan was overflowing its banks throughout the time of harvest. Verse 16. The water is coming down from above, stood up and rose up in a heap very far away at, at Adam. The city that, he, that is beside Zarethan and the flowing down of the sea from Areba, the salt sea, were completely cut off. You need to get this this morning. God goes in first. You've got to grab this. All throughout history, there have been hymns written about it. The Jordan is a picture of death. It's a picture of an obstacle that cannot be crossed in a human ability. And God goes in first. This is our story. This is why believers gather the first day of the week. Jesus said, John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You see, to receive the promised land, you must conquer death. So praise be to God that Jesus Christ conquered death. And we can enter into the promised land, save Christ alone. Amen. It is truly remarkable. What is astounding, what would astound, what turned Jericho into all people into a bunch of wet noodles is the fact that this was the rainy season and Jordan was already outside of its banks. And those priests stepped into the brink of the water and there was, put at that point, a divine dam that caused the water to start to heap up. One side went dry. And the priest, listen, they stepped out into the middle of the Jordan. And there they were called to stand fast. There's a lot of messages in this passage. The priest, those leaders were called to go in first with God's very presence. And they stood fast. as some two million people or so walked by spiritual leaders at battleground and those who would aspire to be. Preparation is important. Embrace it. Finish it. To this you've been called. Not just to the ministry of teaching or serving or shepherding, but to the preparation that prepares you for it. It's God calling you to lead. Then embrace the preparation. There's a river to step into to step into it because we know God goes in first. Then the priest stood firm. And then the people forward. This is the pattern. We've been looking at this. This is the pattern of why God chooses people to lead. People moved forward verse, into verse 16. And the, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest, bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So this new generation has taken this step of faith. They have crossed over this seemingly insurmountable obstacle. And they did so because God went before them. There's still a battle to fight. There's still a battle to fight. First, they must war. He's still preparing them in chapter 4. You see, understand this from a gospel perspective. Jesus has risen and death is conquered. But we're still fighting, aren't we? Before our Monday, we have a Sunday. And this Sunday is a call for us to come aside and Worship, orient ourselves, and to remember, which we will do in a minute. Because this is what we know. Monday's coming. Monday's coming. Before they fight, they must remember. So look at chapter 4. I want you to see both the men and the stones. The men and the stones. Verse 2, in chapter 14. Chapter (laughs) 4. Sorry. Chapter 4. A place to remember. Take 12 stones. Verse 2. Take 12. Lord have mercy, I'm having a hard time talking. Verse 2. Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place of the priest's feet stood firmly. And bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So there were twelve tribes. And so they were told to pick twelve stones. These men, nothing special about these men. These men represented each tribe. In other words, these twelve men were representing the whole of Israel when they came and they picked up these rocks. These stones. Notice where the stones came from. They came from the middle of the Jordan. They, they, were, they were to pick them up where the priests were standing in the middle of the Jordan with this water dammed up. They, they picked up these stones and they carried them with them over. And where they camped that night, they called them to lay them down. That, that verb, lay them down, is this, is this recurring word of here of rest. It's finished. It's finished. Rest is entering into a finished work as as Adam and Eve did in the garden, and so will we one day. We enter into the finished work of Jesus by faith. That is our partial rest. Our full rest is when we enter into his presence. Take these rocks. This is finished. Lay them down. Why pile rocks? I mean, what's up with the rocks? (laughs) You know, those guys (laughs) carrying them rocks across there. Yeah. Oh. What's up with the rocks? The rocks were spiritual markers. There were to be these landmarks in our life. Spiritual markers are important because we tend to forget God's provision and grace. That water goes under the bridge, the next storm comes, and we look back and say, was that really that big a deal? You forget. We forget. We're like leaky boats. He said, these markers are important. These stones are going to be set out in a town, a place called Gilgal. These Gilgal stones are memorial of God's power and God's provision. They are to remind people of God's work for His people, that they would not be where they are today, save God alone. That was important. That was the first purpose of the stones. It's the reason why we need to have spiritual markers in our life. Because we tend to forget. But there's a greater purpose here. and You don't have to worry about what it is, and you don't have to worry about my opinion, Scripture tells us. It's, it's a threefold purpose. It's first for the people. You could say the spiritual markers are for ourselves. They would be set up at Gilgal. Look at verse 20. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. Now, Gilgal was their base camp. It was the first encampment when they crossed over to the promised land. Gilgal would become a historically significant place throughout history. It was Gilgal, if you remember, where Saul was anointed king. We'll come back to this at the end. Gilgal would later become a place of not only idolatry, but judgment for the people of God. You've got to wonder why, don't you? Come back to that. But Gilgal, these stones of Gilgal was supposed to be a place for the people to remember God's covenant, His promises, His power. Because they're going to need to remember that for the days that lie ahead. They don't know what's ahead, and neither do you. The main purpose here we see in verse 21 is for your children And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in the times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up. Why these pile of rocks? So one day when dad and mom is taking their kids through Gilgal National Memorial Park and your kids say, What's that? What's that for? You can say, let me tell you about God's faithfulness. Where He dammed up the Jordan River so that we could come over. Spiritual markers are opportunities. But Listen. They are meant to propel us and our children toward to move forward in faith. They are not meant to build our spiritual homes around a past moment or memory. It is meant to move us forward by faith. It is not only for us and for our children, but look at verse 24. It's, all, it's also for the nations, so that all the peoples of the earth shall know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you fear that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Francis Schaeffer says it this way, The stones were to tell the nations around about this God is different. He really exists. He is a living God, a God of real power, who is imminent in the world. This is important. One day, when Rahab is holding her hand of her little son, a little boy named Boaz... And he's walking down, and he sees those stones. He says, "Mama, what are those stones?" And Rahab can say, "Let me tell you what God how God redeemed me. Let me tell you what I was, but of who I am, and because of who I am, who you are. That's what it's for." Here's the reminder this morning. Some of us have had cancer and heart attacks and ugly divorces. And we've had former lives with unspeakable sin. Yet God has been faithful and God has saved you. Here's a reminder. Stop wasting it. He saved you from that. Even your past sins that you've been forgiven of is not a point of shame It is a banner of God's grace and it is meant to be waved so that people will know that God is the God who saves and God is the God who redeems and God is the God who can heal. Because He healed me, He can heal you. Stop letting the devil shame you about something God has already forgiven you. It is not something to be ashamed of. It is a banner of God's grace and His mercy. For Rahab was no longer a harlot. She was the mother of Boaz in the lineage of Christ himself. Remember. Remembering is important. Why? Because there's a battle to fight. The battle's still in front of them. Look at verse 10. People passed over in haste. Verse 11. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priest passing over, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for the battle to the plains of Jericho. They were ready to fight. Now what this is pointing you to is the fact that some people's promised land was on the other side of the Jordan. They passed over by faith too. Their promised land was over there. But God had told them and they had promised to stay as one people. So they all came over together, armed, ready for war, ready for the battle that God had promised them. They came over quickly, notice that, in the end of verse 2. And they came over armed. God said, go, we go, but we always go together. God has not called you to live an individual isolated life. He's called you to function in unity with a common mission, with a group of people. He's called us to follow. They were ready to follow. Look at verse 14. And on that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they stood in awe of Moses all the day of his life. Joshua was their leader, their physical leader, their spiritual leader. And understand this, no turning back. There's no turning back. Look at verse 17. So Joshua commanded the priest, come up out of the Jordan. And when the high priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came out from the midst of the Jordan, And the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground. The waters of the Jordan returned to their places and overflowed all its banks as before. When they crossed over the Jordan, they were, as it were, burned the bridge behind them. We said that a lot when we planted the church. If you're coming with us to plant the church, I can remember saying this. He's not calling you to come over here for a few months and then go back home. He's calling you to plant yourself as a missionary in a new land and burn the bridge behind you. That's what he calls us to. That's what they were. There was no going back. (laughs) There's a sobering moment. Think of it. They walk over. Whoosh, you know, the door slams shut. And all this before them are people. They're going to fight them tooth and nail. see how this is a picture of real life. It's no retreat. Only forward by faith. So what? So what? Am I too afraid to get my feet wet? What's keeping you from getting in the water? Both the preparation and the battle begins in faith. It moves forward by faith. And it is only finished by faith. Faith is what ignites God's favor to accomplish God's mission. Listen to 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. And I'm sorry sometimes when you turn on the TV or even go to churches... And they give you all these promises like this is your promised land. And all you got to do is name it or or claim it or sow it. I can only promise you two things in this life. God said I will be with you. And God said there will be war. Unbelief says, let's go back where it's safe. I don't want to move forward by faith. I don't know what's forward. But I know what's back. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go back. I'll let y'all do it. Call me when it's safe. Faith says, let's go forward and see what God does. Hebrews 6.1 says this. This is my call to us this morning. Let us lay down the elementary things. And let us move towards maturity in faith. And let us move together. There is a danger here. And this danger becomes all the more a temptation the older you get. And here's my question. Has the monuments of my past turned into a mausoleum in my present? Now, you know what mausoleum is, don't you? Have you ever been to one? There's not, they're not exactly the most exciting things in the world to go visit. You're not people waiting in line to say, let's go to a mausoleum. Mausoleum is, is just, sometimes it's a wall, sometimes it's a whole, a whole building full of dead people. And here's what can happen. Something God has done 30 years ago or 40 years ago, and sometimes not, that can become just a mausoleum of dead people. A bunch of people who set up their lawn chairs and got comfortable thinking about the way things used to be. They're saying, we're just going to set up camp in Gilgal and let the young people fight. Meanwhile, the young people have bought into the lie that this is the promised land. Here's the question. If the old people are staying in Gilgal and the young people think it's already the promised land, who's going to fight? God's called us all to fight. You ain't dead. You're still in the fight. Here's my question. Question: Has God replaced this monument? It become an idol. Listen to what I'm saying. This is history. This is what happened to the people of God. Gilgal become the greatest place of idolatry, and God judged His people at the very place and at the very place that they had been saying, "Look what God has done." And let's move forward by faith. Instead, they were all sitting in their lawn chairs, worshiping stuff that God meant to propel them toward the future. A monument is not an altar. It is given to us to remember God's grace and to move us forward. But the minute we start buying into this, if only we used to, oh, when I was. What we're beginning to do is to take the very grace of God that He's used in our life and set up a lawn chair in a mausoleum. When God says, get out of your chair, there's a battle to fight. You say, how do you fight this battle? You ever tried to help anybody follow Jesus? If you've ever helped one, you know it's a battle. And to this we've all been called. Here's the question. What is your Jordan? What is your Jordan? Jordan. What is that thing in your life right now that seems insurmountable? Because the Bible oftentimes comes at things a little bit counterintuitive. Well, just think about what that is. And listen, we've all got one, at least one, probably a handful. What is that? Just God reminds us that you're not thinking about an obstacle that's big enough yet. That there's a greater obstacle than relationship problems or health problems or job problems because death is in your future and you can't do anything about it. Here's the good news this morning. And if you miss this, you miss everything. And so let me, let's just read the good news. 1 Corinthians. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Look with me at verse 50. I can't give you any better news than this. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 50. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable... Inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ has conquered the greatest obstacle in your life that you will ever face: death itself. Therefore, verse 58, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing in the Lord your labor. It's not in vain. If God can pull the sting out of the greatest obstacle in our life, can He not take care of that insurmountable thing that's in your life right now? Brothers and sisters, let us worship Him, the one who defeated and will defeat our Jordan, and bring us into the promised victory. So what we are about to do, brothers and sisters, is to remember. That's what we do. We do it every week here. If you're a guest here or you're watching online and thinking of coming, we celebrate communion every week. Listen, this communion is not to train your children. It's not for lost people to partake. First Corinthians said you need to prepare yourself to come to the table. That's why we sing two songs. We sing two songs. So The first song, that you prepare yourself. And when you're ready, you come and come to your seat. This is to remember. This is to remember the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is to propel us in faith. This is to prepare us for our Monday, whatever comes. So let's worship our Lord. Let's pray. So Lord, we've come to this time that we call... A response. Lord, everybody here is going to respond. And Lord, if there is some in this room that cannot remember when you save them, I pray that today would be the day that you would reach down into their very soul let them know how much that you love them to give them a glimpse of who you are and a glimpse of who they are and that they would put their faith in your son and Lord for those of us who've been saved by your grace we come now to remember to worship you with our mouths and our offering and our lips touch that juice and we remember what you what your son accomplished for us and lord as we feel that bread break within our teeth that we remember your body of your son broken for us lord we also remember there's coming another day when we will inherit the land that you promised us And, Lord, the only thing good about that place is that you are there. And so, God, until then, you've called your people to fight. Lord, may it begin today. Receive our worship and bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen.